Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve, and the rest of the, the worship band this morning for leading us in uh, song as we, uh, as we sing gospel truths and communicate them to one another. Uh, thank you guys for being faithful to lead us uh, and to encourage us to uh, sing those beautiful uh, gospel truths. Uh, uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6. It's going to be this morning, Acts chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I want to take another moment uh, to brag on Travel. I don't, is he in here? I don't know where he went. Uh, he's outside. I want to take a moment to brag on him while behind his back while he's not here. Uh, I want to take a moment to brag on him uh, for filling in uh, last week for preaching uh, while I was gone. He did an excellent job preaching a strong message from the Word of God uh, from Acts chapter 5. And so I want to say how thankful I am for Travel, uh, how incredible uh, it is that the Lord has uh, raised up men like Travel here in the church. Uh, so thank you for preaching last week, for being faithful to the Word of God. Um, so that was uh, last week in Acts 5. This week, uh, we're going to Acts chapter 6. And if you remember what I talked about a couple weeks ago, and it was a long time ago, but a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that our church uh, from Acts chapter 5 needs to be a movement of God, not some man-made machine. Right? Our church needs to be uh, to experience a movement of God in these walls and a movement of God outside of those doors, that we want to see God move in a mighty way in this church and not just be some well-oiled, well-run machine full of really good systems and processes. Well, this week, from Acts chapter 6, we're talking about organization, uh, how we need to organize as a church. And those may sound like competing ideas, right? You may, you may think back to two weeks ago and think, what, what is he talking about? Oh, we are... We just talked about being a movement of God, not a machine. Why are we talking about organization? Um, but I want to uh, just say that those two ideas are not uh, contrary to one another. Uh, that those two ideas uh, go hand in hand with one another. Uh, one thing, uh, I just want that to be at the, the forefront of your mind. I haven't forgotten two weeks ago as we talk about the, the, this passage, and I hope that that's clear um, as we get into the text. But uh, one of the things that is at the, the forefront of a movement of God is the expansion of the word of God, right? When we think of the movements of God in history, when we think of the early church, when we think of revivals that have broken out in history, what's at the very forefront of that is the expansion of the word of God. God's word is going forth. So it's going forth in the form of presenting the gospel to lost people and seeing them come to know Jesus. And it's going forth within the churches as we open up God's word, we explain it and we apply it to our lives and a movement of God breaks forth and the church begins to grow into the image of Jesus. Right, so a movement of God, what we're looking for, what we're calling for, at the very forefront of all of those movements of God is the expansion of the word of God. So the idea at the very center of this text in, in the beginning of Luke chapter 6 is the expansion of the word of God. So when I talk about the expansion of the word of God, what I'm really referring to is a movement of God. What I'm really referring to is the thing that's at the very center, the very core of what a movement of God looks like. So keep that in mind as we turn to Acts chapter 6. And we're going to begin at the beginning in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, 
a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, that you want to and are willing to move in this church and in our community. God, you want to move through us. You have given us your word. You have, you have given us the gospel. And, and by your grace and your power, you want to move through us here in Roanoke and around the world. God, I pray that we would be a church that longs to see you move. I pray that, that every fiber of our being would be calling out to you, crying out to you, begging you to move in our church and through our church so that our community can come to know you and that we as a church can look more like Jesus. Father, I pray even this morning that you would move in a mighty way in your word and that your word would shape us and mold us, that it would conform us into the image of Jesus even this morning. Father, we love you, we praise you. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, high schools are supposed to teach kids. Like their, their whole goal is to teach kids to, uh, to learn how to uh, to go out and engage new ideas, to go be functioning members of society, right? You should, you should get through high school having learned what you needed to learn, having learned a way to interact with new ideas so that you can go out and you can function as a, a great member of society in America. That's, that's the goal. Well, my freshman year of high school, our administration was a train wreck. Like it, it was a really rough freshman year of high school. And so the goal of training up kids and, and sending them out as fully functioning members of society, that kind of got buried in the mess that was my freshman year of high school. Right, so we had uh, administration was, was constantly in turmoil. The new rules were being added and subtracted every day. In fact, one, I'll give you an example. One week a kid got beat up with tube socks, and so they banned long socks for a couple weeks at school. Like That's just an example. I mean, there were fights constantly. There were um, a lot of issues going on with my high school, and so the, the administration couldn't handle any of it. And so it was just, it was a, a, a train wreck freshman year. Um, they, the school district kind of cleaned house and, and, and fixed things after that. But, um, but that, all those internal problems, right, all the, the kids getting beat up with tube socks and the, the random other problems that, that happened uh, my freshman year of high school, all of those distracted from the main idea, right? All of those distracted from what was primary for high schools. And so we still... We still learned things. That's good. I mean, I, I'm still here. I got through it. Um, but all of those internal problems, all of that disorganization, all of the unmet needs for students, all of that distracted from the primary goal of training up, raising up students, and sending them out into society. And so the students didn't grow and learn and thrive as they could have because of all of the internal problems in the school. Well, we learned last week that the church is a movement of God. Right, that the church is, is a movement of God's people, and because it's a movement of God, nothing can come, that can come against it can stop it. Right? Nothing from outside the church can stop the proclamation of the word of God. Right? We, we saw last week that, that the apostles were persecuted, that the apostles were thrown in prison because they were uh, proclaiming the gospel, and not even persecution could stop them from proclaiming the gospel. Right? They were released, and they were celebrating that they would, they would be willing uh, and able to suffer for the cause of Christ, and they, then they go on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They go on proclaiming the message. The movement of God continues. There's nothing outside of the church 
that can stop or end or eliminate a movement of God. There's no enemy that can come against the church that can stop the expansion of the gospel. There's no government in the world that can stop the gospel from being proclaimed and the movement of God from continuing. So when a church is ineffective at proclaiming the gospel, and when a church is not consumed with the glory of God and the greatness of God, and a church is not, uh, we don't see the, the word of God moving powerfully in a church, it's not because something outside the church has influenced it. Like a church that is ineffective at the proclaiming the gospel uh, is, is not being affected primarily by coronavirus. That's not the issue. If a church is ineffective at proclaiming the gospel, it's not because some government passed a law that made it harder for them. A church that is ineffective at proclaiming the gospel and living out the word of God uh, is ineffective because of internal issues. And, and some of those internal issues could be sin, but what we're dealing with here this morning in Luke chapter 6 is disorganization. Some of, some of the problems, one of the things that can muddy and, 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 and cause the word of God to stop going forth is disorganization within the church. And what a, what a silly and terrible reason for the word of God to stop going forth in the church. It's because we couldn't organize ourselves well enough to get it done. But look with me, that's exactly what the church is facing in Acts chapter 6. Notice what's happening at the beginning of Acts chapter 6. In those days, the disciples were increasing in number. So the word of God is going forth, right? Like the, the, the word of God is expanding. People are coming to know Jesus. And, and they are coming to look more like him as they are being taught and explained the word of God, as they are having scripture spoken into their lives. The word of God is going forth. A movement of God is happening here in the early church. And we can see that. But notice... What happens? A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the day of the distribution. So in the middle of this movement of God, while the word of God is going forth powerfully from the early church, there's a complaint going on inside of the church. There's this, this internal struggle. And notice this movement of God, this powerful example of more and more people coming to know Jesus, that's right on the heels of the persecution that we saw in Acts chapter 5. So this is not some external problem that's causing issues with the church. This is internal. A complaint arises. And so this is the, the nature of the complaint. There's a group of Jews who are Hellenists. That means they, they spoke Greek. They kind of embodied Greek culture. And then there were other Jews who were, who were Hebrews. So they, they, they never adopted that Greek culture. They, didn't, they primarily smoke, uh, uh, spoke Aramaic. Um, so they didn't speak uh, Greek primarily. So it's two different cultural identities. And both were coming together in the church. Both kinds of Jews, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, were coming to know Jesus and joining the church. And they're and part of this, uh, part of the organization of the church is they were giving out, as we saw a few weeks ago, they're giving out resources to those in need, the widows, uh, the, the orphans, those who uh, were going without food, those who were struggling. So they were had this weekly distribution list where they were giving out food and clothing to widows who were in desperate need of resources. Well, the Greek-speaking Christians, those who, who were Hellenists, who had adopted the Greek culture, they were complaining that they were being ignored and, and their widows were being passed over in the distribution of the food and the distribution of the clothing. And that only the Hebrew widows were getting the resources. Now notice, uh, nothing in the text shows that it was malicious. Or nothing in the text shows that that they were, uh, this was a, uh, the result of racism. Uh, they, I, I, they're more than likely, there's not a group of 
of Christians in the early church going, yeah, they, well, those Greek speakers better learn Aramaic. This is Israel, right? This is not what's going on uh, in the early church. More than likely, this is just a failure of organization. The, the church is growing rapidly. More and more people are coming to know Jesus. And those on the periphery of the church, those further out from where the church was centrally located, were more than likely the Hellenists. And they were having trouble getting there in the daily distribution of food. They were, they were passing them over. Think of, for example, if our church added 3,000 people next week. Like if our church grew by 3,000 people next week, we would probably drop the ball on a few things. Like, we're just not organizationally equipped for that. But that's exactly what's happening in the early church. Thousands of people are being added to the church. People are coming to know Jesus day in and day out. Day after day, more and more people are being added to the church. The church was just not organizationally equipped to handle it. And so, as a result, some of the Greek-speaking, Greek-cultured Christians, uh, their widows were being passed over in the distribution of food and the distribution of clothing. And so they bring it up. Like, hey, that's, that's not right. You can't only give it to the Hebrews. You have to also give it to the, the Hellenists. That's, it's not right to exclude us. And they have a genuine complaint. This isn't people complaining about the color of the carpet in the church or, or what have you, right? This is a genuine complaint um, that it seems like only the people who are Hebrews are getting food and only the people uh, and who are Hellenists are getting excluded. And that's a problem. So they bring up this complaint, and this complaint has the the potential to undermine and to threaten and to stop the movement of the word of God. It has the potential to stop the expansion of the word of God that we've seen up to this point. Because look, uh, notice the two ways that this is going to undermine the word of God. Number one uh, is that it's telling a lie about the gospel. Right? This disorganization is conveying a message that is antithetical to what the Word of God actually says, because what it's conveying, it's not true, but what it's conveying is that God cares about Hebrew Christians more than he cares about Greek Christians. Right? The idea that is being communicated within the church and the idea that's being communicated outside the church because of this failure of organization is that God only cares about the Hebrews and he doesn't care about the Greeks. And so just by this failure of organization, it, they are undermining the message of the gospel because they're proclaiming an idea that is antithetical to the gospel. They're proclaiming an idea that's not true. And it's undermining their uh, mission. It's undermining the expansion of the gospel. But even worse than that is that the church is scrambling. They're trying to figure out how to deal with this. And then all eyes turn to the apostles. Right? They're in charge. The 12 uh, apostles, the 12 chosen by Jesus to, to lead the church, the 12 chosen by Jesus to, to act as witnesses of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the 12 chosen by Jesus to, to speak the word of God and to lead the church. Uh, those 12 are in charge. They're around. And so all eyes turn to the apostles. And they're like, what are, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? But notice what the apostles are currently doing. We talked about it last week. They're going out proclaiming the gospel. They're out preaching the word of God. They're out expanding the word of God. And then they're in the church preaching scripture. They're in the church leading the church and, and understanding how to interpret and apply the word of God. And so what we think, uh, our first thought has to be what, wondering whether or not the apostles are going to abandon that ministry to go take care of this problem. Like somehow the apostles are going to have to stop proclaiming the gospel. They're going to have to stop 
going out and preaching the word of God in order to go and to, to fix the issue uh, that has arisen in the, in the early church, to go wait these tables and to go make sure that the Hellenists have food. So this internal problem, this lack of organization, is threatening to undermine the gospel. It's threatening to undermine the movement of God, and it's threatening to rip away the apostles from the, the ministry of the word of God that they've been given. But see what the apostles say in verse 12. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the apostles' reply is, we're not going to give up preaching the word of God to go and to serve these tables. That's their response. And at first, their response seems a little uh, calloused, right? It seems a little, it seems like they're elitist, right? Like, we're the apostles. We do not go wait tables. Like, we go and preach the Bible. Uh, somebody else is going to have to go wait those. It sounds, it sounds elitist, but, but it's not. The thing is that the apostles were given the ministry of the word by Jesus. I mean, we see a little bit later in the text that that's how they describe themselves in verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They have been given the ministry of the word by God. What does it mean to be given the ministry of the word? Well, like I said, it means they are leading the church in the proclamation of the gospel, and they are teaching and instructing the church in how to open up their Bibles and how to apply scripture to their lives. And so they have a, a weighty, heavy duty in the church, that they are leading the church in going out and proclaiming the gospel, that they are showing the church how it's done. They are bringing the church along with them as they go out and they proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ because they've seen it, they've experienced it, and they are leading the charge in proclaiming the gospel. And then they're going into the churches and they're opening up scripture and applying it to the church, showing the church how to live for Christ and how to apply the word of God in their lives. They have a weighty responsibility. Just as pastors today have a ministry of the word and that we need to lead out in reaching people with the gospel and lead out in doing what I'm doing this morning, opening up scripture and teaching you how to apply it to your lives. In the same way, and even to a greater extent, the apostles had a ministry of the word back in the early church because they had been eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus they were called by God to go lead out in witnessing for the resurrection. And at the very inception of the church, they were teaching the church how to apply the Bible and to operate as a body of believers. So they had a ministry of the word. That was their calling. And so they responded and said, it is not right. Not that it's, it's not right because we're better than that. Not that it's not right because we're elitist. But it's not right because God has called us for the ministry of the word. That's the responsibility that God has placed on our lives. And it's not good in the eyes of God to abandon the ministry of the word to go wait tables. Notice that the ministry of the word is primary in the church. We see in the apostles that the ministry of the word is at the very forefront of everything that the church does. That everything we do needs to be organized around the ministry of the word. Everything we do needs to be organized around proclaiming the gospel to the lost world and applying scripture to our lives. The word of God teaches us to, to view and experience the beauty and the glory and the holiness of God. It teaches us to behold who God is and who we are in his sight. It teaches us to experience his love 
and his grace because we see in it the beautiful message of the gospel. So the word of God has to be primary. The word of God has to be central in how we operate as a church. Everything we do as a church has to be about proclaiming the word of God to the lost world and teaching and proclaiming the word of God inside these walls. Because it's the word of God that helps us behold the glory of God. It's the word of God that will change us powerfully by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the word of God is primary. We are not primarily a social club. And we are not primarily a a charity. So we don't exist to meet people's physical needs, and we don't exist to, to make friends and have fun. Those are good things that we do as a church, but we do those things as an outworking of the word of God in our lives, because the word of God is what's primary. A church is not a social club or a charity. It's a place where the word of God moves mightily in our midst, and where we go and proclaim the word of God to the lost world. Everything else we do has to serve that point. Everything else we do has to be organized in order to make that happen. So the apostles are saying, it is not good in the eyes of God for us to abandon the ministry of the word to go wait tables, because it's not good in the eyes of God for us to stop being a church that is about the word of God and to start being a church that's about meeting people's needs physically. Notice they said, they didn't say that we're not going to meet needs. You know, notice they didn't say that nobody is going to wait tables. They're just saying that it's not good for us to trade the ministry of the word of God to meeting these physical needs because the word of God is primary. So they're saying we're called to the ministry of the word, but not everybody is. The apostles, pastors, evangelists, they're called to the ministry of the word, but not Everybody is. God has uniquely gifted and called and equipped every single believer for the work of ministry. And while you may not be called to the ministry of the word, and that you may not be called to lead in evangelism, you may not be called to lead in preaching and proclaiming the word of God, God has called every Christian to reach the lost with the gospel. He's called every Christian to apply the word of God, and he's called every Christian to some type of ministry to allow the word of God to go forth from a church. And so what we see when the disciples say that it's not right that they should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, they give a solution. In verse 3, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So he says, we're not going to give up the ministry of the word to go and to wait these tables. But those tables need to be waited. <laughs> like it's a need that, that has to be met because this internal problem threatens the ministry of the word. As I already said, it, it threatens the expansion of the word of God. It has to be met. And so we have to organize ourselves to meet that need. So what we're going to do is we're going to choose seven people who are called and equipped by God for this ministry. Now, I don't want to use the word calling there in the, in the hyper-spiritual sense that we usually refer to the term, like they, they somehow uh, you know, had a vision and were, you're saying, I, I have to do this, mi- this ministry. They just looked around and said, these are seven men who are godly, who are evidently filled with the Spirit, and who have the capabilities to meet this task. If you'll notice, most of the names uh, in that list, you probably, well, you may not notice, but most of the names in that list are Greek. <laughs> uh, they're not Hebrew or Aramaic in origin, and so out of that list, 
And, we're, and we can even see uh, the last guy, Nicholas, he's a proselyte of Antioch. So he's, he's a guy that came to Judaism um, from a Greek culture, from a, a non-Jewish background. So these seven men, most of them were Greek. Most of them were Hellenists, more than likely. So these were people that were gifted by God, who were clearly, evidently filled with the Spirit of God, and they were perfectly equipped for the task at hand. They were perfectly equipped to go out and to meet the needs of Hellenist widows. Because they, they could identify with them. They, they lived around them. They, they engaged with them. They were perfectly equipped for the task. So Peter and the apostles, they, they tell the church, find seven men who are evidently people of God, who are evidently filled with the Holy Spirit, and have them fill this task. Because they may not be called to the, to the ministry of the word, but they're called to something that's going to help the ministry of the word thrive. And so these seven men stepped up. Uh, most of these are not going to appear again, uh, but we, we do need to know Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. These are two guys that are going to appear immediately after this story and then in the following chapters of Acts. Um, but for the most part, these are not notable guys. These are not the apostles, right? These are not some high weighty uh, people that we think of that, that we're, we're amazed by how, how incredible they are. These are just guys that have had their lives changed by Jesus, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit and are willing to do what they can to help the ministry of the word thrive. So willing to step in in a disorganized, disorderly, uh, chaotic situation and to step in and to apply order to it to help the ministry of the word thrive. That's, that's what these guys did. A lot of scholars will say that this is the, the very first instance of deacons. That this is the moment where the, the ministry and the office of deacons entered the church. And I don't think there's enough in the text to say one way or the other. That this, this could be the start of the deacon ministry. This could also not be the start. At the very least, uh, the, the ministry of deacons is clearly modeled after this idea of men uh, and, and believers stepping up and meeting needs in the church so the ministry of God can thrive. Uh, it's clearly modeled after this idea. But to limit this idea as just, hey, this is the start of deacons, that's what you need to know, uh, is limiting what the text is actually about. This isn't a text about deacons, and this isn't a text really about these seven men. This is a text about the expansion of the word of God, about the word of God going forth powerfully in the church. And these seven men played an, uh, an important role of the word of God going forth in the early church because they stepped up when there was a problem in the church, they stepped up where there was disorganization and they used their gifts, they used their abilities, and they used their availability to step in and to meet the needs of the church so the word of God could continue to go forth. And that isn't just about deacons, that isn't just about one thing or another, that, that applies to every single one of us. And that's something that every single one of us can internalize and take home. And we see that the word of God did continue in an incredible way. We see in verse 6, they set the apostles, they set these men, these seven, before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And notice verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So this whole narrative, this whole passage is couched in the beginning where we see disciples being added to the church, uh, and because of that, there's some disorganization that needs to get fixed. But when it gets fixed, when these men step into those roles, they, they introduce order, they meet the needs 
the internal problems in the church, we see in verse 7 that the word of God continued to increase. That the ministry of the word was not stopped. And it was not subverted. It was not undermined. But the ministry of the word continued and that the gospel went forth and more and more people came to know Jesus. And then more and more Christians came to grow in their faith and grow to maturity. And we even see that, that even priests are starting to become obedient to the faith. Even those who, who were uh, career-wise against Christianity, against the, this, this, uh, this sect of Judaism at the time, even those priests are starting to come in to know Jesus because the word of God is moving forth in power in the church. And we see couched in those two ideas is this group of seven men who are meeting needs in the church. They're not, they're not doing these incredible public things. They're waiting tables. They're not out at the forefront getting all the credit, but they're meeting needs within the body of Christ. And because they're using their gifts and they're using their abilities to step in and to meet these needs and to introduce order, the word of God is going forth in a profound way. As a church, we need to organize ourselves in a way that's going to promote the proclamation and application of the word of God. As a church, we need to organize ourselves in a way that's going to promote and proclaim, uh, promote, excuse me, promote the, the proclamation and application of the word of God. We need organization and order in a way that's going to promote the word of God. Because let me, start, uh, let me start by saying this. First and foremost, we are a church, and we need to be a church that is about the word of God. We need to be a church that keeps the word of God primary in everything that we do. So we want to see lost people come to know Jesus. And we're going to see lost people come to know Jesus by going out of those doors and proclaiming the word of God, proclaiming the good news that there's eternal life in Jesus Christ every lost person that we meet. And we want to see Christians grow in maturity. We want to see Christians grow into the image of Jesus. We want to remind each other that the grace of God is sufficient to not just save us, but to change everything about us. And we do that when we open up the word of God and we proclaim it to one another. When we teach it to one another and we remind each other of the truth that it contains. We need to be a, word, a church where the word of God is primary. Where everything we do is ordered and organized to see more and more people come to know Jesus. And see more and more people behold the glory and the beauty of God. that His infinite power and his limitless grace. We need to be a church that is ordered and organized to see that happen. So as a result, we are organizing. You may not have the, the ministry of the word as your calling. Some of you might. And, and that may be your application to this text, is that you are called to the ministry of the word. So grow in your understanding of the word of God. Grow in your understanding of how to teach it, how to lead it. Grow in your calling so that you can go out and you can lead the church in evangelism. You can, you can lead the way and pave the path in reaching lost people of the gospel. And you can lead the church in learning how to apply, uh, interpret and apply scripture. So for some of you, that may be your calling, is a ministry of the word. But for others, and for most of you, that's not. And that's okay. You are called to reach lost people with the gospel, and you are called to interpret and apply scripture, but you may not be called to lead out in that way. 
But you, if you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then every single one of you has a gift from the Holy Spirit. Every single one of you has an ability by, from God to help the ministry of the word thrive in the church. So we want every single one of you, if you are in Christ and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, we want every single one of you to use your gifts, use your abilities to help the ministry of the word thrive within this body of Christ. One of the things we're doing as a church is we're looking into reorganizing our, our structure in a way that's going to add the office of deacon to our church. Another thing we're doing is we have a, we have a children's ministry that is designed to help parents to come alongside parents, to teach their kids the beauty and the glory of God so that kids can behold how great God is and they can encounter the gospel. What we're doing back there is we are seeing and experiencing a ministry of the word in the lives of kids. And we are organizing a volunteer base back there so we can help them accomplish that mission. We are organizing other teams as well, other ministry teams, and other ways uh, that, we can, we can, that you can serve the church so that we can see more and more people experience and understand the word of God. We can see more and more people experience the gospel. So let me ask you, what is your calling? What is it, how is it that God has gifted you? How is it that God has, has enabled you to help the church so that the ministry of God can go forth in the body? Because if you're not using your gifts, if you're not using your abilities, then we're missing out as a church. How is it that God is using you to help? There's some of you who we do not want helping. And it's not because you're uh, bad people. And it's not because we don't think you'll do a good job. But it's because we are a church as a family of faith living for eternity today. We are a church that wants to make much of Jesus we're a church that wants to proclaim the gospel. And you can't help with that if you've never come to know Jesus yourself. You cannot help us proclaim the word of God and to help people see Jesus if you've never experienced the grace of God in your life, if you've never beheld how great and glorious and mighty and powerful and holy and loving God is. If you've never come to that place, then you can't help us. Because the first thing that you need to do is place your faith in Jesus. What we want for you is not to plug in and to help, but what we want for you is to experience the love and the grace of God for the very first time. So in just a moment, we're going to sing. And after we sing, uh, in just a moment, we're going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to stand and sing to the glory of God. If you're here this morning, you never placed your faith in Jesus. I'm going to be standing right here. And as we sing, I want you to come and talk to me. I would love to share with you how great God is. I would love to share with you about the eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ. Every single one of us is called to have some impact on the ministry of the word in some way. Whether it's leading out in the ministry of the word, whether it's assisting the church so the ministry of the word can go forth, or whether it's being changed by the word of God and coming to know Jesus for the very first time. Every single one of us is called to have an impact on the ministry of the word or be impacted by it in some way. So this morning as we pray, ask God where you fit. <laughs> ask God what your role is in the ministry of the word. If he needs to change you and save you for the very first time, ask God to come into your life to reveal that to you 
And if you need to serve somewhere in the church, ask God, what's, what's your gifting? And how can you help? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we want to be a church that sees people come to know you. We want to be a church that is so enamored and captivated by your beauty, by your grace and your love, by your holiness and power, that we don't want to talk about anything else. We want to bring you up. We want to preach your word. We want to proclaim your gospel. So God, I pray that we would be a church that keeps the word of God primary. And I pray that every single one of us would use the gifts and abilities that you have given us to help the word of God to go forth from this church and to move powerfully in our midst. God, we're relying on you to use your word to change us and to shape us and to mold us. We're relying on you and your word to see, to see a movement happen. Father, I pray we would rely on you. And we would do everything we can to see your word go forth. Pray for those here who have never come to know you. They've never placed their faith in you. I pray that this morning would be the morning where they experience eternal life. Where they come to know just how good you are. Father, we love you. We praise you. And it's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray.